When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Autumn, host of Autumn's Oddities on Darkcast Network. On my show, I talk about murder, cryptids, and ghosts. So you could probably guess that my tastes are a bit on the darker side. So when I shop for unique novelties and gifts, I like to keep an eye out for something with a little bit of, uh, you know, something out of the ordinary. That's why I shop at Bat Wings and Butterflies. Bat Wings and Butterflies is an independent, creator-owned and operated boutique featuring handmade knit creations that run the gamut of the wild and dark side. Here you'll find knit toys and stuffies like little baby baphomets and giant tarantulas, household knits like blankets, doilies, and water pipe cozies, and much more. Every item is an original work of art, handmade with love by a talented artisan. Order your one-of-a-kind creations today. Find Bat Wings and Butterflies at batwingsandbutterflies.com or on Instagram at batwingsandbutterflies. My favorite product is definitely the little baby Baphomet. Oh, look at him. Just go online and look. It looks like he's hailing himself. He's the perfect little demon baby to cuddle with on a cold night while you're listening to podcasts on the Dark Cast Network. Go get yours today. Hey, hey, welcome back to Autumn's Oddities, or welcome for the first time. If you're new here, I'm Autumn, and this is a safe space until it's not. Just kidding. I'm nice. You're safe here, you know, most of the time. Uh, A little business to start off. There's a new Patreon-exclusive episode up, and it features, wait a second, a legally haunted house. Yeah, you heard me. That's a real thing. Like, it's a court case. It's legit. So if you subscribe at any level, you have access to that episode and at least one more Patreon-exclusive episode. Uh, I think I'm going to post about twice a month with Patreon-exclusive episodes. And also, I'm going to drop some merch pretty soon. So keep your eyes peeled. Well, if you have not listened to the last episode, it was part one, and this is part two. So you won't have a clue what's going on if you have not heard the first part. Turn this off immediately and go listen, please, and thank you. I'll do a quick little recap of what happened up to the point that I stopped in the last episode. I wanted to keep going because this case 
I feel pretty passionately about it, but I will be real with you. It's kind of hard to talk for nearly an hour straight with no breaks. My throat gets scratchy. And if I wanted to take like a break or take like a drink or anything, there would be a weird pause that I would have to edit out later. You get it. It's a whole thing. I don't want to do it. So Ray Rivera was found dead beneath a hole in the roof of the Belvedere Hotel in Baltimore after being missing for a week. Police pretty quickly tried to label his death as a suicide, but it just did not make sense. The crime scene looked staged, and Ray had given no indications that he may be suicidal. Even the medical examiner couldn't determine how to rule his death, so they left it as undetermined, you know, as one does when they can't determine something. I talked about an expert in car crash injuries, and she claimed that Ray's injuries were consistent with being hit by a car or being beaten, not with a fall from a height, specifically from, you know, either the parking garage or the hotel. Just didn't match. So another study in trajectory concluded that Ray most likely couldn't have made the jump from any of the three points that were assumed to be the location of the hole that he was found under. Remember, they were the ledge from the 11th floor of the hotel, the top of the Belvedere hotel rooftop, and the rooftop of the adjacent parking structure. So Ray was also acting strangely in the weeks before his death, and he seemed extra paranoid after his home security alarm went off twice in two weeks. Yeah, I think that would make anybody paranoid. I stopped after getting to the infamous note. I cannot summarize that quickly. Uh, There is just too much content in there. But I did tell you that the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit determined that it was not a suicide note. So let's get into the note because really, it's the driving force behind conspiracy theories in this case. We know that the, I'm going to go back and forth and call it letter or note. It really wasn't addressed to anybody. It was kind of like addressed to everybody. So we know the letter or note was not a suicide note per the FBI, you know, behavioral analysis unit that reviewed it. But besides that, there's no information about why Ray would have written a cryptic letter that referenced Freemasonry then taped it to the back of his computer. It's very odd. I've never done anything like that in my life. If you have, write in, let me know. But online sleuths are now and were then also trying to decipher the note. And Unsolved Mysteries co-creator Terry Dunmuir addressed popular Reddit theories in an interview that he gave to Entertainment Weekly. So the note was addressed to brothers and sisters, like I said, kind of everybody, and referred to a well-played game. It named people who had died, including actors and very famous filmmakers. It also contained a long list of people that Ray knew and was related to, and it requested to make them five years younger. The note also introduced an element of the case that involved Ray's apparent interest in the Freemasons because the note began and ended with phrases used in the Masonic order. So what does Ray Rivera's letter say? Well, it's unclear what the full version of that letter says because it is not available in a full version that is legible. Netflix released a scanned photo of the full note. It was not up close and the resolution is very bad and it's heavily redacted. So his wife Allison says that she knows he wrote the note the day he disappeared because there were still scraps of paper in the trash can, the exact same paper apparently. The font was shrunken down very small, and the entire note was contained on a single sheet of paper that was about seven inches long, folded, and taped into a hard-to-reach area on the back of that computer. It was pretty much like the size of flashcards. So the note begins, and this is a quote. 
Brothers and sisters, right now around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight. Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. And that last part is apparently a Masonic reference. The letter apparently closes with a Masonic phrase too. It just seemed really bizarre. Really bizarre, said Baltimore Police Department Commander Fred Bealfield. Yeah, it does. Thank you, guy. So officials found it so strange that they, you know, sent it to the FBI, which examined it and concluded it was not a suicide note. And Blizzard reviewed it and agreed because he's an expert. What it does appear to be is a weird stream of conscious writing, he said. The other thing I thought of it is if he's writing some type of code to someone about something. That's possible. So not covered in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, but discussed in local news coverage, Ray had expressed an interest in joining his local chapter of the Freemasons shortly before his death and even bought the book Freemasons for Dummies. Okay. Well, his wife said that he had an interest in secret societies and was also interested in writing a screenplay about them. Yes, those movies are always fascinating. Good topic. So Jane Miller from uh, WBL. I think it's WBLA News in Baltimore, learned that on the day Rivera disappeared, he had actually spoken with a member of the local Freemason Lodge to inquire about joining. On the weekend before his disappearance, he spent time reading the book The Builders, which is a study of masonry. It could be totally unrelated. It sounds to me like a person who's inquisitive and wants to know more about an organization. Why? I don't know, Blizzard said. But based on what we've seen, his interest in the Masonic order was not to do charitable work. And this is Bealfield speaking this time. Somehow it was linked to his interest in the movie industry and this theory that somehow there was control being exerted by the Masonic order. So the Maryland Lodge member who spoke with uh, Ray told 11 News in Baltimore that there was nothing unusual about the meeting. He described the conversation as one, you know, typical of a new member inquiry. So he didn't describe Ray as seeming paranoid or strange in any way, just inquisitive. He had some questions. So in parts of the note that were released to the public, and it's a long rambling note, there were references to movie stars and directors like Stanley Kubrick and M. Night Shyamalan, some heavy hitters. It also references a well-played game that he does not elaborate on. And I'll be honest, what I did read of it sounds very strange and maybe like he was having a mental health crisis, you know, if it wasn't just something that he was writing for a screenplay. If he were just writing it for a screenplay, then it's fantastic. Like it's intriguing. It's a work of art. So one of the movies alluded to in the note is the 1997 movie, The Game, which if you're unfamiliar, involves a very wealthy man, Michael Douglas, who gets a gift that's supposed to be an experience. And he goes to this big company and they do like hours and hours worth of questions and tests and blah, blah, blah. But instead, it tricks him into believing that his life has been ruined. He's broke. He's in another country. He's buried alive, blah, blah, blah. It's fantastic. But in the climactic scene, he believes he's killed his brother and jumps off the roof of the hotel. He falls through a glass roof to what he believes is his death. And this is in the same manner that his father had killed himself, you know, decades earlier. But it turns out that it was all part of the game. The game was meant to make him reflect on his life and appreciate what was really important. It's a great movie. I absolutely love it. I can see some parallels for sure. But many, many people believe that this part of the note is much more ominous. And I'll get into that later. 
So here are some more strange excerpts from the note that were published in Newsweek. You know, the, the legible ones that 100% were written in the letter. I'd like to welcome those who accepted our invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. This is another quote. I took on the endeavor to find the truth, but not for its own sake. In accepting this quest for truth, I hope to make myself, with the help of others, into a man worthy and ready to receive it. Another quote, because these are not continuous, they're just excerpts. Members of the council, please note that I will lend careful concentration to the traditional responsibilities. In light of those proceedings, I will satisfy the standard request of this council within the appropriate time. He also says, that was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated. But it was time to wake up, so here I am. Another quote. I stand before you a man who understands the purpose and value of our secrets. That's why I cherish them as secrets. Life is a test to see if you can control your spirit. Take care and enjoy the festivities. All right. Uh, to me, that sounds like some sort of an initiation speech, but it also could be a script that he was writing for a movie about secret societies. I don't know. He took that secret with him. So who was listed in Ray's note? Like I said, he listed quite a few people. Ray listed people that he knew in the note, but Allison said he missed several important people, like family members, which seems odd, with a request to make them five years younger. Then wrote a list of movies, books, and music that he found very inspired and compelling, like Meet Joe Black, Minority Report, The Born Identity, and Lord of the Rings. He also referenced film directors Stanley Kubrick and M. Night, Sh M. Night Shyamalan, like I said. Allison, his wife, said that she knew what all of these things slash people were and what they meant to Ray, but couldn't figure out why they were compiled in the manner that they were. She googled the first sentence of the note and immediately got a hit on the Freemasons. Allison says that Ray was curious about secret societies and possibly writing a screenplay, but didn't know anything about him joining any such society. It was a very cryptic letter, and some believed that it was actually written in code. But Allison claimed that a lot of the time, Ray wrote down random thoughts that didn't really make any sense and that it was not significant. Allison gave the note to the police, and they sent it to the FBI. And as we know, the FBI's BAU cleared the note and said it was strange, but didn't appear to be a suicide note. So if it wasn't a suicide note, what does it mean? Well, no one really knows. Like I said, I couldn't find the full note online, just excerpts. The episode suggests that it could be some sort of code, but if that's true, no one has been able to crack it so far. Since the episode aired, however, there have been a couple of interesting theories from viewers. One which has constantly circulated on Reddit and has also been reported on by Newsweek draws comparisons to the movie The Game, you know, that Ray listed on the note and the way that he died. Also mentioned is that Ray ran out of the house because he got the call that he was going to be initiated into the Freemasons. And it's also believed that the note is some kind of speech that Ray was going to make at the initiation ceremony, like an acceptance speech. Show creator Terry Dunmure said that Allison spent a lot of time with that note, obviously as did the FBI, trying to figure out if there were any clues or if there was anything else in there. She doesn't place any significance on the movie The Game beyond the fact that Ray just liked a lot of different types of movies. He was just a guy who was interested in everything, apparently. Allison claimed that if Ray had never written these kinds of notes before, you know, these stream of consciousness notes, that she would have found it odd. But she claimed that he had 
tons of journals with writing similar to the note, so she really didn't think it was strange or connected to his death in any way. So while Allison may not have found Ray's note to be strange, the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit came to a different conclusion. Remember, they don't believe that this was a suicide note, but they do believe that what's contained within it are markers of mental illness. So one of the psychiatrists, whose name was redacted in the document, quote, agreed that the overall themes and specific language in this letter are consistent with someone who suffers from a delusional disorder or bipolar disorder. Okay. They then define delusional disorder as, quote, a psychotic disorder featuring a persistent belief contrary to reality. Yes, that's what the word delusion means. Okay. That's a pretty big accusation for someone that never treated Ray to, you know, to come to. Criteria for delusional disorder includes, one, non-bizarre delusions for one month or more. Two, Functioning is not markedly impaired apart from delusions. Three, any mood episodes which have occurred at the same time have been brief relative to the period delusions. Four, the occurrence is not due to direct physiological effects of a medical condition, medication, or abused drugs. So people with delusional disorders or delusion disorders can be highly functional in many areas of their lives. In Ray's case, the psychiatrist believes that the mental illness he suffered from went virtually undetected by friends, family, or co-workers. The the person also believed that Ray suffered from persecutory delusional disorder, meaning that Ray believed that he was being malevolently treated in some fashion, like, say, a conspiracy or a plot against him, which would account for his recent paranoid behavior. So the analysis that stated uh, that the writing in his note was consistent with someone who was suffering from bipolar disorder. That assumption was based on the fact that the thinking in the note was disorganized and may be consistent with someone suffering from schizophrenia. So is he schizophrenic, bipolar, delusional, or all three? I don't know. They've diagnosed him very rapidly here. But the BAU made it a point to say that it could not be proven that Ray was actually the author of this note. So nothing here is conclusive, and they cannot say for certain if Ray was mentally ill, and this whole thing just seems like blowing smoke. Again, the psychiatrist never saw Ray as a patient, but they were using respected techniques in psychiatric psychiatric analysis to come to their conclusions. I am not sure how I feel about it, though. Um, They make three diagnoses without ever having seen Ray as a patient. Uh, I just wanted you to have that information. Do with it what you will. So to recap, Ray wrote a very weird note. He hit it. Then on the day he disappeared, he took a phone call and left in a hurry. Whatever sent him to that building happened very quickly. Claudia was staying, that was the house guest, in the room next to the office and heard Ray take a phone call, yell, oh shit, and then ran from the house. Claudia said that after he left, Ray actually came back into the house, but only for a minute, like he'd forgotten something, and then ran out again. If he were late to, I don't know, like a business meeting, he was dressed pretty informally in flip-flops and a t-shirt, so I think we could probably rule that out. Ray was actually extremely busy with work in the weeks leading up to his death. According to author Makita Brotman, who wrote, you know, the deep diving book on the case called An Unexplained Death, Ray actually made a phone call to a production company the day he disappeared and booked an editing suite and video equipment. 
Ray had an editing project due the following week for the Oxford Club, which was a subsidiary of Agora. We remember Agora. And he had filmed their annual conference in Delray Beach, Florida in March of 2006. The advertising manager for the company also talked to Ray on the day he disappeared to ask when the video would be ready. Ray told her it would be ready on Monday. Again, it seems like Ray was making plans and not shirking responsibility, you know, as one might do if they were planning to kill themselves. Ray's last full-time job was to edit a financial newsletter called The Rebound Report. I mentioned it in the first episode. And that was published by Agora Publishing, owned by longtime friend Porter Stansberry. Family and friends said Rivera had expressed some unhappiness with his work because the stocks that he was recommending weren't rebounding. So, yeah, people were losing money. Essentially, Ray's job was to find stocks that were valued low and set to make a comeback or to rebound and then to recommend them to the subscription newsletter, you know, subscribers. So who called Ray? Who was he running out to meet? Police traced the call back to Stansberry Associates, a subsidiary of Agora, where Ray worked. But they couldn't determine specifically who called Ray because the call came from the building's switchboard. So this phone call seems critical, but Stansberry allegedly put a gag order on their employees after finding Ray, so there was no possibility of getting information from them. I've read conflicting reports on this because Porter Stansberry claims that this never happened, there was no gag order, but employees claim that it did. So he said, she said. Porter also went ahead and retained a lawyer after Ray's body was found. Again, very, very strange. Allison claimed that Porter did not cooperate with the police investigation at all, which would be very suspicious if true. Porter and Ray were great friends since they were 15 years old and played on the same water polo team. They even went to prom together. So you would think he would do everything in his power to help an investigation into one of his best friend's deaths. Allison was furious because the couple had moved to Baltimore at Porter's request, and now he wasn't willing to even comment on Ray's death. My question, why wouldn't he comment if he had nothing to hide? Very, very, very weird. Either way, I'm not saying he did anything because this guy is really litigious. So Porter Stansberry had previously gotten into hot water with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, who filed fraud charges against him and his company, Pirate Investments, which is a subsidiary of Agora. There's a Agora is like an umbrella company. It's got tons and tons and tons of little subsidiary companies underneath of it. So the fraud charges were essentially for doing the exact same thing that Ray was doing by giving financial advice and not being qualified to do so. Somehow, Ray was actually supposed to be cleaning up Porter's reputation after the SEC scandal. Ray was definitely uncomfortable giving out financial advice because, admittedly, he was bad with money. So in 2005, Ray decided to stop writing the financial newsletter and instead started working on video editing for Porter. He was hoping to get some freelance work, but, you know, he kept working in the meantime because, obviously, he has a mortgage to pay. So Allison and many others believed that Ray may have had information that someone didn't want getting out and that he was murdered as a result. But what information did he have that was worth killing for? Well, I mean, money is a huge motivation for murder. His brother believes that maybe someone was angry because they lost money from a stock tip in the newsletters and that they took their revenge. Allison told author Makita Protman that she is convinced that someone from Agora is responsible for Ray's death. 
She claims that they have the wealth and power to cover it up, and she believes that they may even be surveilling her. Allison told Brotman that she became obsessed with solving Ray's death to the point that it became unhealthy for her, so she decided to honor his life instead. She decided to join a writing group, and at the first session, everyone went around and said what their topic was going to be. After Allison spoke, the instructor asked if she would be willing to stay after class. When they were alone, he wrote something on a piece of paper and slipped it to her. He told her to open the paper and nod yes or no if this was who had killed her husband. When she opened the paper and looked down, it read, Stansbury slash Agora. She was shocked and asked the instructor how he knew. He claimed to be a former attorney who had worked to prosecute white-collar criminals. He said he knew the links that they would go to to keep things quiet and that prosecuting them didn't really do any good. His advice to Allison was to stay away and that if she wrote her story, she would be putting her own life on the line. Allison was also advised to be careful investigating Ray's death by police and other investigators because obviously if he was murdered, someone may come after her too. Three weeks into the investigation, the only detective that believed that Ray died as a result of foul play, Detective Byer, was reassigned for, quote, spending too much time on the case. When Allison called the station to follow up on the case, she was told, you need to get it through your head that your husband committed suicide. Okay, then. Well, she said she'd get it through her head when they show her evidence that it happened that way. Same. Nikita Brotman was also told by one of Ray's closest friends, Jennifer, to be careful investigating his death. Apparently, a local reporter that remains unnamed was investigating the case and came home one day to find that his house had burned to the ground. The police said that it was probably an accident, but afterward, the reporter refused to be involved in the case whatsoever. He was like, no, I believe they did it. I'm out. In fact, almost none of Ray's friends or family would go on the record with Makita or any other reporter. They are all convinced that Ray was murdered and that they'll meet the same fate if they give up any information. So, okay, if Ray didn't jump, if he was murdered, whatever, how did he end up under that hole? I presented you with studies, and based on those studies, it seems pretty clear that it's mathematically and physically improbable, if not impossible, that Ray jumped off the hotel or the parking garage. Remember, at the time of Ray's death, Baltimore was the number one city in the U.S. for homicides. That is not a superlative you want. You don't want to be number one for that. So the Baltimore Police Department was trained to investigate typical homicides, which are, you know, gunshots, turf wars, domestic violence, or just a general dispute. They were pretty much used to showing up to a crime scene, knowing what happened, like, this person was shot, but having to find the perpetrator still. But this is not a typical case that any homicide division in a municipal police department is going to be able to handle. Without clear evidence that he took his own life or clear evidence that anyone else did, then Ray's death falls into a gray area. So it was probably just easier for the police department, who at the time was clearly overwhelmed with homicides, to just say, this is a suicide because it looks like he came off of a roof and just stop investigating. It kind of seems like that's what happened to me. The investigation only lasted for a couple of weeks, even with all of the very bizarre circumstances surrounding Ray's death. It may have even been for political reasons that the investigation stopped because in May of 2006, Mayor Martin O'Malley ran for you know the office on the promise of lowering the homicide rate in Baltimore. 
which by the way, it didn't happen. I understand wanting to close a case and also not wanting to add to the homicide rate statistic, but remember, the medical examiner ruled his death undetermined. There was no finding as to whether it was a homicide, accident, or suicide. In an undetermined case, the police are pretty much relying on someone to come forward with information that will give them a lead. When a medical examiner makes that ruling of undetermined, what they're actually depending on is the investigation of the police department to determine what actually happened, you know, by actually investigating. So let's just say that Ray didn't come off that roof. Let's eliminate that theory. What happened then? Did someone put his body under that hole in the roof? If Ray didn't come off of that roof and somebody put his body, you know, there underneath that hole inside the conference room, then things start to make a lot more sense, like where his flip-flops were found and his possession not being on his body. It would make sense that someone put those items around the hole to make it look like they popped out on impact. It would also make sense why no one saw Ray inside the hotel. Apparently, it's possible to get to the second floor concourse of the hotel, you know, the roof of the conference room, which, you know, where Ray's body was found directly underneath it without actually going inside the hotel itself. It can be accessed from the garage and also from the ground floor. There are multiple ways to get into it without going inside the building. I feel like this could have been discovered through a very small amount of police investigation. Who knows? Maybe it was and they just didn't care. It would also explain uh, the fact that some of his injuries weren't consistent with the fall. A lot of things start to make sense when you stop looking from the top of the hotel down and look from the ground floor up. But it seems like somebody really, really wanted everyone looking up. Let's talk about the second floor concourse roof itself. The producers of Unsolved Mysteries made it a point to talk about the roof of the Belvedere and that it was extremely fragile, like so fragile you could literally peel it back with your bare hands. Detectives even went onto the roof in a flat position, and I guess by that they mean army crawling, so they wouldn't fall through. So what if someone made the hole just by putting their foot through it to make it look like Ray came through? It's definitely possible, and apparently, it happened pretty frequently when contractors worked on the roof. If someone made the hole, then that would mean that the whole scene was staged. If you take the hole in the roof out of the equation and just consider the possibility that it's a red herring, all that's left is a brutally beaten body. Now, it's an entirely different case. Now, it's a homicide. Ray's body could have been placed there after being struck by a car. Another theory. Remember Miriam Moya, who analyzes car accidents and what happens to the body in a car accident or if they're struck by one? She is adamant that Ray's injuries are consistent with either being beaten or being struck by a car. Specifically, Moya highlighted the fact that Ray only had damage to the right side of his body, but he supposedly came through the hole vertically and feet first. Moya said it's not physically possible for the body to have incurred the injuries that it did unless Ray had come through the roof horizontally on his right side, which would mean that the hole would have been horizontal as well. Makes sense, right? University of Sydney forensic physicist and one of the world's leading experts on falls from height, Rod Cross, said that, a feet-first jump usually results in a feet-first landing, unless it's a low-speed somersault or a head-first dive. 
He also said that a push from a height would result in the body rotating in the air, but for Ray to have landed where he did, that he would to have had to have had to take a running jump, and we already talked about that, seemed pretty damn impossible. So if investigators could get beyond the idea of the fall, because there's no evidence to support that theory, then maybe they could actually solve what caused Ray's death. If someone did murder Ray, they were incredibly smart about the cover-up, and they'd probably done it before. Maybe someone who does contract wet work or, you know, hits for a large company. I don't know, just spitballing. It's believed that Ray may have been involved in or may have known something that he shouldn't have. Many people claimed that Ray was a whistleblower and that he stumbled onto something, but there has never been definitive proof. But it would explain the security system going off twice in two weeks and Ray following Allison around at all times to protect her. It would explain his paranoia that, you know, prior to just before his death, Ray had never exhibited. This is all speculation, but it is speculation that is backed up by some, you know, pretty conclusive studies. And it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know. Maybe it makes no sense to you. It makes a lot of sense to me. Let's get into some, some theories that don't make sense. I just stumbled over my words. They're hard. So I've told you some theories that can be backed up with evidence and science, but there are some wacky conspiracy theories out there. Many people believe that Ray was actually killed in a ritual initiation gone wrong. He did, in fact, order a blank check from his production company's account, and the theory is that the check was intended for his new membership dues when he joined the Freemasons. Because the note had references to the Freemasons and was very cryptic, some believe that Ray had written it as a kind of acceptance speech to read after his initiation. It's believed that Freemasons don't know when or where their initiation is going to be held and have to leave whenever they get the call, which would account for Ray running out of the house after taking that phone call. The theory here is that either the Freemasons or some sort of offshoot secret society held his initiation on the Belvedere rooftop because Ray was so terrified of heights, like trying to get him to face his worst fear and be reborn into their society. So supposedly, Ray jumped to prove that he wasn't afraid and that he was worthy, believing that he would go through the roof and land on one of those big stunt blow up cushions, just like in the movie The Game. The Freemasons dispute this claim heavily, though, and say that Ray was not an applicant for membership. He had literally only just met with the Lodge member right before his death. They claim that their ritual initiation does not involve any harm to the person being initiated and that it's held at their local lodge, not on a hotel rooftop. They say that they would never do anything like that. I think this theory would make a great movie. Uh, I just don't think it's true. If it is, and someone proves it eventually, I will eat my hat. Literally. I will eat a hat with a knife and fork. You can watch me. So another random theory is that Ray's body was dropped from a helicopter through the roof of the Belvedere. The problem with this is that it would be impossible to determine where the body would land if someone just dropped it from a helicopter. Also, Helicopters are freaking loud, so someone in the building should have heard something if it were at a height to drop Ray's body, which no one did. I know that Baltimore is a good-sized city, and helicopters fly through it often, but it would have to be pretty low-flying to cause the injuries that matched Ray's. And also, why would someone risk being seen flying in a crowded part of town if they could just dump the body in the Chesapeake Bay, which is close by, and then no one would know? Like, makes sense to me. 
that would be a much better option than a hotel roof. Again, it seems unlikely. There's no proof. There's no flight records. And it doesn't line up with physical evidence. But sure, it would make for a great scene in a movie. Well, I've got a little update for you. Uh, Since the episode aired, there's been a little bit of movement, but not towards solving Ray's case. Um, Unsolved Mysteries creator Terry Dunmuir divulged in an interview that an unidentified person was very interested in Ray's computers once they had been taken by the police and even tried to come and pick them up. When Allison went to the police station to pick up Ray's computer, the detective mentioned someone had called a couple of times and asked to pick up the computers and was very interested in the status of the computer. Allison, that was a quote from Terry Dunmuir. This is because it happened after the show aired, but considered what episode, it is an intriguing additional detail that does seem to support the assertion that something very strange happened to Ray, maybe even something sinister. Ray was reportedly terrified in the days leading up to his death, you know, according to Allison, she said that, but wouldn't confide in her about what was bothering him, probably because he didn't want to get her killed. We know that their security system went off twice before Ray's death. So did someone try to break in and steal those computers? If so, what could have possibly been on them? Porter Stansberry, who was not spoken, seamless transition there, not like I'm insinuating he did anything, but Porter Stansberry, who has not spoken publicly about the case since the first days of Ray's disappearance, told the Baltimore Sun that he was shocked and hurt by the show's insinuations. He pushed back pretty hard about the insinuations that he had anything to do with Ray's death and claims that there was never any gag order for his employees. He said, the reason I've never commented about Ray's death publicly, first and foremost, is that I never thought there was any mystery about why or how he died. Okay. So someone who knew Ray for more than half of his life who knew that Ray was terrified of heights, who never saw any suicidal tendencies, he believes that Ray just outright killed himself. Okay, I am not sure I buy that, but I won't say anything else. Again, this guy loves a lawsuit. He just loves them, and he's got the money to just keep on filing them. So the posture of the Baltimore Police Department is that Ray killed himself, but the medical examiner left the case open because the manner of his death was undetermined. It doesn't have a firm conclusion to it. This case is wide the fuck open. At this point, it seems that the only way there will be a resolution in this case is if someone that knows something comes forward. I think you could probably guess what I believe happened here. I think that Ray was reading about the Freemasons and had that meeting with a lodge member as part of research for a screenplay and that the note was probably a part of that. I don't think it was actually related to his death, and I don't think he died as part of an initiation gone wrong. It's very salacious. Just don't think it's what happened. I think Ray had that, you know, meeting with a lodge member just to get a feel for what it was like to be a Freemason so that his writing would be more authentic. It's called research. I also don't think that he was mentally ill or suffering from delusional psychosis like the BAU believed, but remember, They were unsure if he actually even wrote the note because it was typed. It wasn't in his handwriting. Literally anybody could have stuck that note there. Red herring. But I do think that Ray was paranoid before he died. And I believe it was because he either saw or found something that he wasn't supposed to and was threatened to keep his mouth shut. I have no clue what that could have been. 
I'm sure somebody does. It would be great if they would say something, but you know, they would probably end up like Ray. But come on. I mean, he's working for a high powered company, decides to leave for some reason. Then someone starts trying to break into his house in the middle of the night. Then he gets a phone call that sends him running from the house that came from the Stansbury switchboard, leaves his retainers out and the lights on like he's coming back soon, is dressed very casually. And later, some anonymous person calls the Baltimore Police Department and tries to get a hold of his computers. Really, though, like you, you put it together what might have happened here. I'm not going to say anything. Was he whistleblowing and had a meeting, you know, to go to and give this information with? Did he get the call that he had to go at that exact moment? And that's why he flew out of the house like he did. I just don't know. Uh, I do know that he didn't jump or fall off of any roof, though. There are multiple studies that support that opinion, and I trust science, especially physics. I believe that he was supposed to meet someone in that parking garage, but it was actually a trap. He was either beaten or hit by a car there, or maybe both. Whoever killed him either looked down and saw a hole in the roof or just went to the roof and made the hole themselves and then put Ray's body under it. I don't think it was really necessary to put his belongings around the hole because if Ray killed himself, maybe he would have just thrown them away or left them in his car. I think they put his things there so that someone would see them when they went looking and go, well, you know, he had to have gone through that hole because all of his stuff is around it. And that worked very clearly. I feel horrible for his widow and she calls herself that. She believes with all of her heart that someone murdered her husband, but no one will do anything about it. I cannot even imagine. I feel like I would go full-blown vigilante mode if something like that happened to my husband. Well, thanks for listening to part two. I would love to hear your theories. If you found some research I didn't, please let me know. I researched the shit out of this one because really there have been a lot of updates since the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Just, you know, nothing to actually solve the case. Well, if you like what you hear, you can hear more episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms, Spotify, Good Podcast HQ, Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, released on Mondays and Fridays. You can find me on Instagram at Autumn's Oddcast, on Facebook at Autumn's Oddities, and on Patreon at Autumn's Oddities. Like I said, there's a new Patreon-exclusive episode up right now on the Nyack Ghost House legally haunted house. If you have any stories or topic suggestions that you'd like to send to me, or you just want to, you know, spitball on your theories on any of those cases I've covered so far, send them my way, social media, or send them to autumn's oddities podcast at gmail.com. Make sure that you follow, subscribe, like share wherever you listen to your podcasts. If your app allows, give me a nice little five-star review. Literally takes no time to just Boop, push the button. And if you got some extra time, write a nice little blurb under it. Say something sweet about me. That would be wonderful. Thank you for listening. I hope you continue to listen. And remember, if it's creepy and weird, you'll find it here.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.